We've got just a few minutes, but we will use those minutes wisely from the book of Acts and chapter 11. Chapter 11 and verse 19 um, is a wonderful passage of scripture as we consider the question, what is a Christian or who is a Christian? What is a Christian? How would you characterize a Christian? Well, here at the church in Antioch, and this is a, oh, this is a city that was, uh, it was not as large as Rome and not as large as Alexandria, so it was the third largest. It was a large metropolitan or cosmopolitan city in Syria. And toward the east was uh, the desert, and toward the west there were populated areas. And this is a this is a uh, just a flourishing uh, city. Lots of people, lots of different kinds of people, and the work of the Lord is going forth. We'll begin reading there in verse nineteen. We'll read down through twenty six, and we'll. Hope to answer the question from this text, what is a Christian? So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus, and there it is, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Now, we want to stop there just for a moment. If you, if you uh, turn back to chapter 8 and verse 4. This is really where this whole persecution, or verse 3, actually. But Saul, right there, chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. And he would put them in prison. Therefore, verse 4, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And you have the uh, account of Philip going to Samaria. Well, this is, this is extended. This is that same persecution But it's picking up again over here in chapter 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered. Because of what? Because of the persecution. Well, what persecution? The one that occurred in connection with Stephen. The one we just made reference for there in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. So they made their way to these cities. Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. They're speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. So at this time, there's only one city that has really one significant city with a significant church. And that place was Jerusalem. So Antioch is going to be the next city, significant place with a church. So what happens? Well, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus... And Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking, here it is, to the Greeks also. Now that's some earth-shaking news. They are speaking to Greeks. Now there are some in that verse 19, it said they spoke the word to no one except to Jews alone. I mean, that's some uh, pretty stringent uh, parameters, I guess, they placed on themselves. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and they're speaking to the Greeks also. So there's, 
uh, some question, were these Hellenized Jews or were these Gentiles, were these Greeks? And the language here says they were Greeks, they were Gentiles. Were there Hellenized or Greek-speaking Jews in the area? Probably, but these men are speaking to Greeks. They're speaking to Gentiles. Uh, this is Cornelius, right? We saw the gospel come to Cornelius' house uh, upon the apostolic authority of Peter, God working through Peter. And now we see this extended even beyond uh, Cornelius' house. So they're speaking the gospel to the Greeks. Now I wonder what's going to happen. Well, what are they saying? What, is, what, what does it mean that they began speaking to the Greeks also? Well, Luke tells us right there what they were saying. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. What better subject for preaching than the Lord Jesus? I mean, I guess that's a news flash or something. No, not to any of us. We, we know how, uh, you know, that Jesus is the, the great treasure of the gospel. He is, he is the center of, of what we believe. He is who we believe in. So they're preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord. So when the Bible mentions the hand of the Lord, this is the power of the Lord. When the Bible mentions the Lord's hand, the Bible's talking about the power of God. And the Bible says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, these, the them there in 21 goes back to these men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. And they're preaching the Lord Jesus and the Lord is attending their preaching. I think when the Lord Jesus is proclaimed, the hand of the Lord was there. It was with them. There it is. And a, there it is. A large number who believed turned to the Lord. This is one of the very few instances in the scriptures when you get these two, um, when you get turned and believed together in the same verse. Turned and believed. Right there, it's, it's compact in this verse. These people, and a large number of them, they believed and they turned. Uh, some say they turned and believed. Either way, they're turning, they're believing. And who are they believing in? They are believing in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the subject of the preaching of these men. So that's good news. And the Bible says a large number. So there's, God's doing a work. It's exciting. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So the literal there is this news uh, came into their ears. The ones where? At the church in Jerusalem. They're interested, right? Anytime the, the gospel is being accepted uh, by Gentiles or Greeks... These, uh, the, the formerly, uh, the Jews who had become Christian, they're interested. So they constitute the church in Jerusalem and they sent 
Barnabas off to Antioch. Now, this is the same Barnabas that we ran across in chapter 4 toward the end of that chapter. And we always see Barnabas, uh, normally he is uh, bringing people together. And he has the trust. While he's not an apostle, he is trusted by the people, the church there in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Why? Well, they want Barnabas to be their eyes and their ears as to what God was doing among the Greeks. These, they're not, all, these, all these Jewish Christians aren't going to go up to Antioch. They want Barnabas to go to Antioch and then bring a report back. Talk to them about what God was doing. So Barnabas was a trusted man. We read in chapter 4, he's a generous man. And he is ready to go. So I wonder how this unfolds. Then, when he arrived, so he got there. You know, travel was, it's, it was not safe back then. It was, you know, there's a certain amount of vulnerability when you're traveling. And if you look, in, you know, look at your Bible map there and notice the distance between Jerusalem and then northward to Antioch, it's, a, it's definitely a hop, skip, and a jump. It's a good haul. So he arrived. And I love the, I love the, the uh, phrase here. He observed or he witnessed the grace of God. I wonder, what, I wonder, what he, I wonder what's in that phrase. What did he see? I think, I think he saw a bunch of changed lives uh, among these Greeks. So it's just like he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. People who loved God, people who worshipped God, people who were learning of the Lord, people who were, who were congregating and fellowshipping, who were, who were uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper. He's looking at this. He's looking at God's work, God's grace on these folks. A bunch of thankful people, I'm sure. And you know what he did? He rejoiced. He rejoiced. Um, I think this says a lot about the judgment of the church in Jerusalem in sending Barnabas. And I think this says a lot about Barnabas. I think it says a lot about his grasp of the gospel and God's intent of the gospel that it would not remain among the Jews only, but that the gospel intent was to go beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And that when, when Barnabas witnesses the grace of God on Gentiles, that he rejoiced. He's not one who is lifting up uh, legal guardrails for these people. The grace of God is on them. And he rejoiced. And I, I wonder if those people there saw Barnabas and saw the grace of God on him. Well, they had to see the grace of God on him when he was rejoicing. And he began to encourage them. So he had something to say to them. He's not just going to just kind of witness. He is there to witness and observe, but he's there to encourage them. So I wonder what he would tell them. Well, Luke tells us what he told them. He encouraged them all, no exceptions, with resolute heart, 
to remain true to the Lord. Boy, that's that's precious. Remain true to the Lord. You have a devoted heart. You're devoted to God. Remain in him. Abide in him. For he was a good man. Now this is... uh, This is talking about Barnabas. He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So right in the middle of what's going on in this church at Antioch, we have this little profile here of Barnabas. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So you wonder if once Barnabas got there and he observed the grace of God and he's encouraging them with all with, all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord that that even the influence of the ministry that God had given Barnabas yielded more uh, numbers and uh, more people coming to the faith. That's kind of the sense you get there in verse 24. He was a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and f- of faith. And all of those are important, right? To be good in God as God defines good. For man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And then considerable numbers were brought to the Lord and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, this is really good because the door is opening now for Saul to come and he is going to begin his ministry and his missionary journeys where he begins here in Antioch. And so Barnabas is, I mean, this guy is on fire because um, he's going to go find Saul. And it means that he's going to have to leave Antioch and he's going to have to do some more traveling. And he's going to Tarsus and he's looking for Saul. And that couldn't have been easy. Do you think he just texted said, you know, Saul, where are you? No, he's got, I mean, how do you do that? How do you find him? Well, we don't know exactly how that happened. God, I'm sure, orchestrated this, but he's looking for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Saul, you got to get over here. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, and it's used in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. You can look at those later. Or now, you're free to do what you want to do, but we're getting ready to wrap this up. Um, So here's where we get, okay, they're first called Christians. We don't think they called themselves Christians. We think that others beyond the church looked at them as people who were always, uh, they were always and forever about one person, Christ. They're the people always, those over there, they're always talking about Christ. They're always congregating, they're always together, they're always, always, always singing, praising fellowshipping, worshiping, and it's all about this Jesus Christ. 
Those Christ ones. It's those Christ ones over there. So, um, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, that word Christian that we use um, originated right there in Antioch among those believers that constituted that church. Now, in closing, what's a, what is a Christian? Well, a Christian is someone who has heard the message of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, there in verse 20. They've heard. They heard these people, these men, preaching the Lord Jesus. They've heard. That's the first characteristic. The second one is that they are people. I hadn't thought of this before now, but it's right there in front of me. That you can, one can witness the grace of God on their lives through their obedience to God, through the things that they value. Uh, One who knows the Lord can witness the grace of God in them. What do you think about that one? Meaning there's something different about their life. Jesus makes all the difference. So there's something different about their life. You can see, I mean, that's, he witnessed, he saw, observed the grace of God. Was it their love and encouragement and prayer and for one another? For sure. Was it their uh, willingness to help Bear one another's burdens to forgive one another. All of that is a testimony to the grace of God. And so uh, Barnabas began to encourage them all with resolute heart. So these Christians continue with your resolute heart, with your resolve. Sometimes I think this. Sometimes I think we're better explaining the gospel up to salvation to someone who's lost. But I don't know that we're so good at talking about what's after you receive Jesus and how that life is different. In other words, and I think think we have merit or we have uh, some weight coming from the Bible to explain that. Because... The life we live without Jesus is called a futile way of living in the Bible. It's futile. But when you receive Jesus, how do things change? I mean, what, how do my values change? We cast down the idols, but what do we, where do we go? Well, we follow God in obedience and we follow him in the waters of baptism. And we make that public testimony. And our world now is Jesus. And what's dear to Jesus is dear to us. Namely, his people. His people. Well, um, so they received the encouragement. 
uh, from Barnabas. And they have this resolve. And, and it's an inside thing. Christianity, it's an inside out. It's not outside in. It's not do's and don'ts. It is a heart work. And heart is a good word there, and it is the word heart, cardios. It's the seat of our emotions, who we are at the core of our being. And then to remain steadfast to the Lord, a Christian, listen, remain steadfast to the Lord. And then right there for that entire year, what'd they do? There's Saul and Barnabas, and they're meeting with the church, and they're teaching considerable numbers. And the people on the outside notice a difference and say, there they go again, those Christ ones. Well, I'm glad to be a Christ one. I know in our modern day, this word is used very liberally. It's kind of slap it on anything. It kind of works, but not really. We're Christ ones. We're ones who follow Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness to us. We're undeserving of your goodness. We're deserving of the consequences of sin. But Lord, you have saved us. You have called us. And I pray tonight you would work in hearts here in this room and then all over. Lord, making hearts open to the gospel, open to Jesus, the reality of Christ. Who has uh, risen from the dead, who's alive forevermore. And Lord, it is that It is that one, Jesus, who saves us. And uh, Lord, we can't thank you enough. We praise you and we continue to ask for open doors and to see fruit uh, from the seeds that are planted in the minds and hearts of people. So, uh, Lord, give us a good day tomorrow with family, with friends, Lord, in the gatherings that take place. And we pray that you are glorified in those gatherings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.